Welcome to Benefits, What Like It's Hard? The podcast that breaks down the truths and misconceptions about all things benefits. Not only do we talk about what you should know about the benefits offered to you through your employer, but we also tackle topics on physical and financial wellness. I mean, come on, what more could you want from a podcast? Join me, Libby Allison, each week to hear from people just like you sharing their own experiences and experts giving us the inside scoop on the information we need to be successful. Hi, everyone. With us today is Michael Hermes, a wealth advisor and certified financial planner at Haran Wealth Management, located in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about or continuing our life stages series, and specifically, we're going to be talking about what to be thinking about in terms of your finances when you get married. Um, Michael's going to start by talking about some things to keep in mind as we go through this episode, and then we'll get started. That's right, Libby, and uh, at Haran, we do offer an array of products or services that beneficial to the topic at hand. So there could be some personal bias with what we talk about. However, this discussion is really intended just to be for educational purposes only and should not be misconstrued as an offering to buy or sell any investment products, nor should it be considered tax or legal advice. We're just here to uh, chat and have a good conversation about the things you need to know when it comes to, as you, as you said, getting married. Um, I, am, I am currently engaged. I got engaged in April and planning on getting married next October. Um, and Libby, I know you were just married recently, and yep. so this is going to be a, a great discussion. And when, when was that? In April. April? Yes. Okay. So, so. T- today is, is a very good topic for, for both of us just to talk about the financial do's and don'ts when it comes to uh, approaching a topic like marriage um, and what, what you need to be doing after you get married. And so there are definitely some steps you want to make sure that you take into consideration. As an advisor, I kind of see the entire spectrum. So from those just getting married to those who have been married for 50 years. And uh, one of the things that I, I have come across previously with with a client is uh, there is one spouse who doesn't know that the other spouse has a $50,000 credit card and uh, they're kind of keeping it secret from their Yay. from their current spouse. And so we want to make sure that you have healthy habits developed so that uh, you don't have to worry about hiding an unnecessary credit <laughs> card from your current or future spouse. So let me just jump in with a question. Sure. Have you had conversations about finances already with your fiance? Because of my career, I, I have had uh, numerous conversations uh, with my fiance. Um, it's never too early to start the conversation, especially if you're engaged. I think at the point of engagement, um, that's really the good time to start sitting down and talking about how you want to uh, handle your money together. And um, I've had numerous conversations with, with my fiance in regards to the topic. Um, there's a, definitely a few general things that you want to make sure you do with your, your fiance or your spouse. Um, and that is the first one, of course, is creating a budget. So you, you, once you two 
um, become married and you're, you know, living under one household and working as a team for the rest of your life, you want to make sure that you're cluing each other in on the things that you're doing. And one of the ways that you can do that and to take some of the stress off of each other is to build a budget and make sure you know exactly where all your money is going every single month. You're essentially giving yourself permission to spend money every month by having a budget. And so uh, using some of the rules of thumb that you might have heard on other podcasts, such as if you're, you're shopping for a new home, try and keep your monthly payment under 25 to 30% of your take-home pay. Um, if you have any high interest rate uh, credit card debt or loans, making sure that you are, are paying those off as quickly as possible. Um, but one, once again, the budget will really give you to clarity going into your marriage about who is spending money where and where your financial priorities lie. Yeah. So, well, I guess how early, I'm just curious, sorry, we're getting kind of personal, but how early did you start having those conversations in your relationship? We've, we've always been very open when it comes to okay. money. I, I think the statistic is money is the number one cause of divorce. Yeah. And so the more open that you can be with your spouse in regards to your finances, the better off and stronger your your marriage will be. Yeah. And that's just that's my opinion. But <laughs> I totally agree with that now. So Trevor and I have been financially dependent. I would I would say financially dependent on each other for way before we were ever married. Like we lived together, um, and we lived as if we were two like a two income family. Um, and we always had open conversations about it, but we're at a point now where we're married now and we're trying to figure out if we're going to combine all of our all of our money, I guess, or keep some of it separate. And my one hesitation is the, my one hesitation to combining all of our money is that I'm going to get pissed when he like spends money on something dumb without telling me or just does it without like my permission or whatever it is. I don't know. So I can imagine that that's the number one reason why people get divorced. Yeah, and I think people, um, you know, living together before marriage is more and more common yeah. nowadays than it ever, ever was in the past. And it's really a good trial run to see if, if you two fit together. Um, but until you get married, right, you're still, for the most part, typically you're doing everything separately. So in your case, right, Trevor has his own bank account, you yeah. have your own bank account. But once you're married, there's this general concept that maybe you're supposed to combine finances. And really at the end of the day, it's whatever works for you two. There's yeah. no right or wrong answer, but one of the things that you wanna make sure that you have in place is um, appropriate beneficiary titling on your accounts. And so what I mean by that is you can have a separate checking account, but you wanna make sure that on that checking account, you put a transfer upon death or payable upon death titling on that checking mm -hmm. account. So that way, if something were to happen to you and you were to pass away, your spouse will inherit that money in that account. Same goes with any investment accounts or life insurance that you have. Um, but at the end of the day, if you want to keep your money separate and his money separate, um, that is that is fine. I've seen strong couples do it either, either way. Do you see people ever doing a mixture of both? 
Uh, I've never seen really a mixture of both. Um, one thing that, that you might see occasionally is maybe couples will have financial goals such as they want to take a vacation. And so they'll have a maybe a third joint checking account where that money is earmarked for the purpose of that goal, whether it be a new car or uh, you know, a vacation home or something along those lines that they'll both contribute money into that account every okay. month with, with that idea behind it. Okay. I'm just asking because we're kind of sitting in that both scenario right now where our expenses that we have together, like house um, and like water bills, all of that stuff, we put money aside into a joint account and it just pulls from there mm -hmm. and we put a little extra and then it kind of sits as a savings account for the both of us. Mm -hmm but everything else is separate. So yep. I was just curious if other people did that or not. Yeah, and if, if that works for you, I haven't heard of that one before, <laughs> um, but if that works for you at the end of the day and that's what you're comfortable doing and the, the utilities are getting paid every month, yeah. then by all means, more power to you. Okay, cool. Well, what else What else do you need to be thinking about yeah. when you get married? A another thing that's that's really important is now that you have Right, your your life partner, a lot of new things start to develop and one of those is usually buying a home or having children. Right. And so um, one thing that you'll you'll probably need to start looking into if you haven't already is getting some sort of life insurance. Have you ever taken a look at life insurance before? Yes, actually, um yes. And I've gotten quotes and just never did anything with yeah. it on for both of us. And I need to just pull the trigger and do it. It's, I'll be honest, because I think for like our listeners, they may have no idea how much that can cost or things like, I had no idea how much that was going to cost to actually cover everything basically that we own or anything like that. If one of us were to pass away so that we could continue to live, you know, a similar lifestyle. Um, it's a little more expensive than I was expecting. <laughs> so I think that's where I just haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I know that I, we know that we need to do it. It's on our, it's on our after wedding to-do list. We just haven't gotten to it yet. And I know it's probably not top of mind right now, but each year you wait to take, to, to purchase life insurance, it does get more expensive yeah. as it goes based off of age to determine your pricing uh, uh, as well with some additional factors. Uh, but right now, for for most married couples, there's usually um, a house payment or car payments, and um, a lot of couples nowadays are two-income households, so they rely heavily on both incomes. And so, if one of one of you were to one spouse were to pass away, then the the surviving spouse is left to fend for their own. And now they have maybe a mortgage payment that's excessive that they wouldn't have if they were on their own, yeah. or a car payment, right? And so making sure that um, your surviving spouse is covered in the event that you were to pass away, that's where life insurance comes into play. And so uh, life insurance is really um, there for those who depend on your income. And so it, what you can do typically is you can buy the general rule of thumb is to buy about 10 times your income in death benefit on a term life insurance policy, 20 or 30 year term policy. Uh, with the whole idea that, once again, if you were to pass away, your surviving spouse will inherit uh, X amount of money tax-free that they can then use to pay off the mortgage or have a little side fund for your children that they can use to go to college or pay off those outstanding auto loans. Um, and so they don't 
while they're while they're focused on dealing with the emotional toll of an event like that, they don't have to worry about the financial toll right. or something like that. So um, you should definitely look into uh, life insurance. It sounds like you started the process, but um, like I said, the longer you wait, the harder it gets. For typically for the price of a, a pizza once a week or once a month, you can get decent uh, term life insurance coverage. So, That's true. Yeah, so so take take a look into it again. I would encourage you to, <laughs> to look one more time. When you put it in perspective of a pizza, it, <laughs> it makes it sound a little better. Yeah. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. So, um, but yeah, so so life life insurance is definitely something something prevalent. Um, so as of as of right now, I I personally don't have any, uh, but that's going to be one of the first priorities that I do um, as soon as my fiance's name's Megan, um, as Megan and I uh, get get married in uh, late next year. And then on top of that, one of the other things that that's really no fun and a lot of people don't know that they need to do is to complete their estate planning. And so you need to make sure that you have legal documents in place um, that specify who you want to make decisions for you in the event of an unfortunate health uh, health health event. Yeah. And so, for example, there's four basic documents that everyone needs to make sure that they have in place. Um, the first is a will, right? That that says what do you want to have happen to your estate upon your passing, and if you have minor children, you can name guardians for those children as well. Um, the second document you need to make sure you have is a living will. That says, do you want to maintain yourself on life support should something happen to you? Um, you're giving your uh, personal preference as to what to do there. The third is a health care power of attorney. And that's an important one because that says, you know, if you were in a coma or mentally unable to make a medical decision yourself, who do you trust making those medical decisions for you? And so now is it your, you know, your your new husband or is it your parents or who yeah. do you want making those decisions and inside of that document you can put and list each of those individuals who you trust making those decisions um, and then lastly the other one that a lot of people and the primary one people forget about is a durable power of attorney or financial power of attorney as it's also known so that says same thing as the medical power of attorney um, but who can uh, go into my checking account and pull out money if I was in a in a coma and I can't do that myself yeah. And so that would be something important for those individuals who like having separate checking accounts um, to make sure you have one of those powers of attorney that states that your spouse can access your checking account in the event that you're unable to do so. So to get all those documents, you can usually go through um, online. Like I know a popular one is LegalZoom. We don't personally recommend going through an online uh, directive, but just to get something very, very basic, yeah. it might be worth looking into, but it's very cheap and you kind of get what you pay for. Um, so, but we actually recommend going through a estate planning attorney. Um, so estate planning attorney, usually to get those documents in place, you should be looking at somewhere like $750, somewhere around there, um, to get all four of those documents in place for both you and your spouse. And so I'm glad you like named the price range, I guess, because we did talk about this on the on the last podcast because we were talking that that episode was about having a baby and what to think about then. So it really applies well there also. But um, I mentioned 
that I'm, I'm also going through that process right now. I'm lucky that I have um, friends who are attorneys. And so they're kind of in my ear about needing to do that now that I'm married. Um, so they're helping me through that process, thankfully. But um, they kind of gave me what it's gonna, what it's gonna cost. And I, I was a little shocked at the price. So I, I'm glad we're like just putting it out there just so you know that that just so like listeners know it's not it doesn't come for free. You, you do have to like pay someone to do the service for you, but it lasts until you need to make a change. right? It does. It does. And so really, you only need to be updating those documents once every five years or um, if you were to have a change in your life event, such as if you have an, an, another child or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, but they, those do last a lifetime. And so I meet with individuals who are getting ready to retire who don't have any of those documents in place, actually. Um, and so the first thing I tell them to do is to make sure you get that done, just to make sure your, your estate's buttoned up. Um, but that's definitely that's something you definitely don't want to put, put off for that long. Yeah. Um, but uh, the sooner that you can get around to doing that, naturally, the better. Okay. Uh, an another thing that... Uh, you'll also want to take into consideration, really my job, right, is is making sure the what-ifs, you're covered if the what-if happens, right? So we talked about if, if you pass away uh, now that you're married, what do you need to be doing? Now, what if you're married and your spouse becomes disabled, right? They were to get into a car wreck, they have a lot of medical bills, what do you do in that event? Well, one, one of the biggest mitigating factors that you can do is to make sure you have appropriate disability insurance. And so you can get both short and long-term disability coverage uh, through your employer. If you're self-employed, you can go and, and shop for disability coverage yourself. Uh, but you want to make sure that you have some sort of income still in the event that you were to become disabled. Generally, you can qualify for about 60% of uh, your, your income in the event of a disability. Yeah. So double-check your employer plan. Um, and make sure that you do, in fact, have disability insurance and that you understand how that plan works. I'm not sure if we've done other podcasts in, in the past about disability insurance. We, it's funny that you're bringing this up because we've, we've been talking about these life stage, you know, events through these podcasts, and we've talked about a little bit like short-term disability when you have a baby, and that's a very typical reason why a woman would pick up short-term disability because what most people don't know are, or people who are new to the workforce may not know that you typically um, are getting a benefit for maternity leave like getting paid for maternity leave through a short-term disability policy your company may have some other you know benefits that they offer you but typically we see that you get that through short-term disability, but we've never talked about it in terms of income replacement for a dual-income household. And so I just think that's such a good point. You should be having conversations with your spouse about their benefits and making sure that um, everything aligns. And part of that is disability because you're right. If you can't work, you're going to lose your income. So being prepared for that is so important. And we have talked about short-term disability and long-term disability, but it's been a while, so maybe we need to revisit that on another podcast episode. The one thing I will say while we're on this topic is, Michael's right, those types of plans have so many nuances. And so you'll just want to understand 
if you're getting it through your employer, how the plan actually works. A lot of the time there's waiting periods or um, pre-existing condition clauses that are in those plans. And so just make sure you understand what those are and how it all works before you just start paying for the policy. And then in line with just company benefits that are offered, some companies do offer access to um, an estate planning attorney uh, as well. So those documents oh. we talked about before, you might have access to an estate planning attorney to get those basic documents set up through as one of your employer benefits. Um, and then on, on top of that um, as well, with, with getting married, one of the biggest benefits that you now ha are, are eligible for is to be on each other's health insurance. Yeah. Right. And so um, there's a, there's this question you need to that you need to sit down and compare your options at both your companies and see if it makes sense to stay on separate plans or if it makes sense to go on one plan versus another. Um, so that's that's certainly something worth looking into comparing the premiums, the deductibles, etc. Yeah. Um, so really, there's no there's no right or wrong answer there. It just really comes down to the details of of the health insurance plan. Yeah. We, we've talked about this because we did a Getting Married podcast when it comes to your benefits, but it is important to bring up here because you're paying for the benefits. It's a part, it should be a part of, maybe not a budget, but it comes out of your paycheck. So thinking about how you can save and really like utilize both of your employer's benefits in the way that, in the best way is important for your finances. It's also important to understand that with like, a health savings account, once you're married, you can use those funds to pay for your, like I can use my funds to pay for Trevor's expenses now that we're married. So um, just having an idea of what's in each other's accounts may be a strategy that you guys can take on um, as you think about what your medical expenses might be down the road. So just make sure you're talking about that. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, just some other right, general principles to make sure that you're following. So once you're married, you want to make sure you have at least three to six months of cash sitting in an emergency account. If something were to happen to either of you, you were to lose a job or anything like that, you have some cash there in emergency, in reserve to, to get you through um, those times. Um, and then with, with getting married as well, um, you might have additional opportunities to con contribute uh, to each other's retirement accounts. And so, for example, if, if one person has a much higher income than the other and um, the person with, with the less income wasn't used to contributing as much to the retirement account, maybe the, the one spouse who does have a higher income helps that individual contribute more into their personal retirement account to make sure you're, you're better off in retirement. You're talking about like an IRA? Like an IRA or a 401k or a 403b. Um, so with 401k, like Trevor could contribute to my 401k? So he can't directly contribute to your 401k, but what you can do is bump up your personal contribution and then Trevor just gives you, Oh, gotcha. puts money in your checking account yeah, every yeah. month to, you know, to make you whole essentially. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good to know. But uh, try and make sure you're saving at least 10% of your income, your joint income now, every year in to, to have a good retirement. So for a good retirement, or for an okay retirement, 10%. For a good retirement, 15%. And in a perfect world, you would be doing 20%. Oh, wow. That's a lot. 
It is. It is. Uh, <laughs> it is. That's why I said in a perfect world, not a lot of people actually get there. Yeah. Um, but between yourself and your employer, the contributions that are going in uh, for a perfect retirement, at least 20% okay. of your, your income going in there. So okay. if you have, right, in a perfect world, you'd be doing it all yourself. But if your employer is still giving you money inside your plan, say you get a 6% match inside your employer plan, then you should make up the other 14 yourself. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Good to think about. Yeah, um, but but that's it. And so when, when I know it's a you know it's a lot to yeah. the, the biggest part, right? The key at the end of the day is to make sure that you are at least having dialogue with each other, right? Um, it's not something that you want to keep keep separate or uh, or hide from each other what you're doing. Um, like we mentioned before at the beginning of the podcast, right? It's the number one cause for Divorce is typically finances. So uh, the more open and transparent you can be with a partner, the, the better relationship that you'll have. So um, hopefully, you know, we, we discussed a couple good rules of thumbs that our listeners can take away um, from today. And uh, for all of those uh, getting ready to get engaged or get married, best of luck and, and wishes to you. Um, I know Megan and I are really excited and then I know all of us here at Haran Libby, we're very excited for you and Trevor as well. Thank you. So, yeah. Thanks so much. Um, so happy for you guys. And can't wait to hear about the big day. Yeah, sounds good. I'll be sure to show you lots of pictures. Again, please remember that this podcast was strictly for educational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation, um, nor should you take it as tax or legal advice. Also, you can find more educational resources available on our Twitter and Instagram. So be sure to follow us at Haran1948. And if you could subscribe to our podcast, we would love that also. And you'll get notified whenever we have new episodes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Nothing we say in this podcast is representative of any specific plan and should not be construed as legal, regulatory, or accounting advice. If there is any discrepancy between what we say and your plan document, your plan document will always